So last Sunday after service, uh, I, I flew to New Hampshire because my wife was out there uh, taking care of her mom. And so I flew out and she left like the Tuesday before. And so I flew out and we got in last night. Our plane arrived, arrived in San Luis Obispo. I'm going to arrived in San Luis Obispo at 10.45 last night. So, yes. And so first, I'm, I'm a little tired. So first service, I come running up. I was out there talking, yammering like usual. And I come running up and I missed the stage and I ate it. I don't know. You got to ask the video guy. Donald, did you get that? Did you get that? Uh, no. Well, yes, I probably can do it again, but it will not be on purpose like last time. And everybody's like, oh, and I'm like, really, really? That doesn't make me feel better. You know, I do it. So sad. Uh, I, have, I have one announcement for you as we start. So uh, we, we decided to try and help you guys connect a little bit better. And if you maybe have some time before you... See, and this is weird because we always want you guys to get out of the parking lot as fast as I can. Uh, but apparently that's not a big deal to some people. So we've set up some like, f- like lawn games. games out here, which you can lawn game. And, and I actually said, how can we call it lawn games when it's not real lawn? But, so our faux lawn games are right out front. The one thing they don't have is when I hear lawn games, I always think of that like lawn darts. But that's not really the safest thing with a bunch of little kids running around like, ah, ooh, lawsuit. Anyway, so we don't have lawn darts, but we do have uh, like cornhole. What else we got out there? Ladder ball. Ladder ball, yeah. I should tell you about the one time I won ladder ball, and I rubbed it in Jeremy Denton's face. I am a, he says, you are a horrible winner. And I'm like, I know. Because I never win. <laughs> anyway, hey, welcome to Element if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go deeper into what we're talking about. Uh, there are some questions that also go deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. And it says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live in wisdom and, and be prudent and give thought to the steps that we take, that we'd be a people who, who trust you uh, for, the, for the way that you have created this world and the way that you have revealed yourself and we would live and walk in that revelation because you are good and we want to be a people who live in your goodness. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we have been, we're going to take this summer to go through the book of Proverbs. It's an effort to understand God's wisdom, how to live that out in the world in a way that honors Him. Uh, sometimes I think it's hard to understand a lot of the book of Proverbs because we approach it with a westernized thing of how things work. And what I mean by that is we tend to make everything in the Western world about ourselves, like everything is about us, that's our culture. So when we read Proverbs, we don't tend to see them so much as proverbial, we see them as promises in our lives. Like, here's an example, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. A lot of people claim that as a promise in their lives, and when they have a kid, 
kid that goes crazy or doesn't believe in God, they think that God has failed them. And that's, that's not true. Proverbs are principles. They're proverbial. They're not wrong if you have one kid who loves Jesus and one who doesn't because they're principles. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 20 says, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. And you might say, well, I consider myself poor and my neighbors kind of like me and Donald Trump is rich and right now nobody seems to like him. So see, that proverb's got to be wrong. It's a principle. It's a principle. And behind this verse, it is talking about the unrighteous poor who is a fool or a mocker and the righteous rich who gives and serves those around him. And what Proverbs does is trying to teach us these principles for a God-honoring culture. It's why our series on Proverbs, we are calling it counterculture, not because we are against our culture in any way, but we want to bring about a God-honoring culture. We want to be instruments for change, for positiveness in our world by being about what God intended his people to bring about. Now, that means that we live the gospel now, the good news of Jesus now, and what we say and what we do now today, that we center on his truth and the life that he brings. In the book of Matthew, what you will do is you'll find the story of these wise men who come to see Jesus as an infant. Matthew tells you, wise men from the east came to worship Jesus. Now, what were the wise men of the day? The wise men were the cultural experts, the leading thinkers of their society. And what you see is the backbone of the Christian message illustrates the biblical principle that God is going to make foolish the wisdom of the world and that he's going to bring his wisdom out in the midst of that so that we can see what true wisdom really is. Everything bows down to him and who he is and his truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. When we bring about a God-honoring culture, the things we once thought were foolish, giving to others, serving one another, loving when other people don't love us back, those things seem so foolish to our world today. Why would you care and reach out to someone who is so mean to you? Because God calls me to love you. Why would you let somebody into the roundabout in front of you? You wouldn't. No, because... because God calls us to love and give. Why do you let somebody in front of line at you at the Costco when the lines are so long, if you ever have? Because God calls, and it's foolishness to the world around us. And yet, on the other side of that, there is there's the wisdom that God then brings out looks foolish, but also the wisdom of the world that starts to look not as wise when we start to follow him, like get everything you can for yourself, make your life all about you. That's our world's wisdom. And yet, in God's economy, that becomes very, very foolish. Last year, um, I listened to a message by Tim Keller. I know, shocker, how can you believe I listened to Red Tim Keller because I talk about him all the time. Um, And he talked about wisdom and foolishness and say one of the best ways that you understand wisdom is to kind of look at the antonym. You look at foolishness. And so I thought it would be good for us to look at fools and foolishness in the book of Proverbs today. Uh, Keller actually says in Proverbs you can learn what a fool is, what kind of fools there are, and how not to be one. I would say really how to stop being one because I think we all are fools at, at some point in our lives. So what's a fool? Uh, the best way to describe a fool is somebody who is out of touch with ultimate reality. You ever meet somebody new and you talk to one of your friends and you're like, that dude is so out of touch with reality. Anybody? Okay, maybe it was you. Maybe you're that out of touch person, but whatever. Um, but this could th- this could be someone in how they see relationships, and maybe they 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 can't find someone to date for a while because maybe they go on a date, and every time they go on a date, they just talk about themselves the entire time, and no one wants to go out with that again. Or they get to an end of a date, and it's like, okay, your part was thirty bucks. 
You know, that's, that's not how dating works. Maybe you won't get another one doing that. Or maybe they get fired from their jobs all the time because of a horrible work ethic. Maybe they steal all the post-its or give things to their friends so they get fired all the time. That's just not a, you know, a wise way to actually work in your, in your workplace. This could be a whole lot of things. It could be from debt to thinking light beer actually tastes good. All kinds of crazy things like that. There, there's this idea that they should know better or you should know better. And we keep doing the same dumb things, getting the same dumb results and thinking the results should change. Like sometimes, again, this goes back to dating relationships. Some people date the same type of person over and over and over and wonder why it never works out. Because you're dating the same type of person over and over and over. Now, there's an exception to this rule about wisdom in the world, and that's like maybe like a four-year-old, right? If a four-year-old goes into a fire and picks up a burning log and burns their hand, well, you don't look at that four-year-old and think he's a fool because he's not out of touch with reality. He's four. He doesn't understand how everything works. But if you were hanging out with maybe some 18 to 20-year-olds, and it starts like a, like every good redneck story, hey, y'all watch this, and they and they reach into a fire and grab a burning log and they burn themselves, well, you call that person a fool because they actually should know better. That's what a fool is. It is someone who is out of touch with reality and should know better. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So when the Bible talks about a fool, it's not talking about being foolish in just one area. We are all foolish in one or a couple areas. Like sometimes people, they get an email and it says you forgot your receipt and you're like, oh, here it is. They emailed it to me. I'll click on that and you open it up and your computer gets a virus, right? That's, that's a foolish thing to do. It doesn't make you a fool. So when the Bible talks about a fool, it's talking about someone who is out of touch with ultimate reality. Two basic facts about ultimate reality. Number one is that there is a created order to the world because God created the world and that we, secondly, are to live within that created order. When God creates the world, there was and is an order to it. Like there are boundaries for the sea. This is how far you can come and no farther. When the sea goes beyond those boundaries, it wreaks havoc. There's an order to the world. Things don't happen by random chance. It means that there's a physical and a moral and a social and a spiritual order. And if we are going to begin to live wise lives, we must submit and live in accord with that order. Actually, Keller called it a givenness. I really like that. There's a givenness to the world. For example, take the physical. The truth is you cannot eat just anything you want. The older you get, the more evident that becomes. Hey, there are certain things that are good for your body and certain things that are not good for your body. And if a person I'm not saying you, just a generic them person, insists on violating the givenness of their body, there's going to be a breakdown. If you insist on eating all kinds of terrible, we would call these yummy things, you won't live very long. You will die because there's going to be a breakdown. And if you, though, eat wisely the things that are right, you will typically live longer, your body will be healthier, and you will feel better physically. This tends to make sense to all of us. We don't do it, but it makes sense to all of us. But the Bible goes further than that, and it says that it's not just true of the physical world. This is true of all of creation. There's a moral order and a spiritual order in the created world. Now, we are told in the scriptures that we are to serve and love and give to one another. And yet, in our culture, the way products and things are marketed to us is that it's all about us. You need this. You deserve this. Why don't you have this? Go into debt and buy it. Everything is all about us. And when things start to become about us, it starts to break down that order that God calls us to live out in the world. I mean, we are a people who say we aren't self-focused, but we are. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody instead of paying attention to them the entire time, decided to start looking at your phone? How many selfies 
do you take in your life? How, how many of you are offended when you're cut off in traffic because you're in your own little world and you are God of that car and how dare someone cut you off when you're driving around the car? We all do this. We are all self-focused and concerned about our own pride. And when we are concerned about our own pride and our own selfishness, there is going to be a breakdown because there's an orderliness about how God intended for his world to live. And when it's violated, there's social breakdown. Uh, if you base your identity on anything other than Jesus and the good news of what he has done, if you build it on your looks or on your success or what people think about you, you will eventually have some type of psychological breakdown. I, I don't mean mental asylum, but you could become insecure. You'd be horrible to be around because you're always basing yourself on how people perceive you. You have all kinds of issues when you do that. And so what Proverbs teaches is we don't get to live our life any way that we think we want because there are consequences when we do that. We do not get to determine all, all the rights and wrongs for ourselves because there's a givenness in the world. And if we try to act like there is no givenness in the world, if we live any way we want and make up the rules, then we are, according to Proverbs, fools. Then we're fools. There's going to be a breakdown because we're out of touch with reality. It goes back to this idea of, of promises and principles. We are told that the world was created a certain way, and yet now the world is fallen and broken because of human sin. We did this. We broke the world. And that means when you look at these principles, yes, they are true, and yes, they are good, and yes, they are right. But sometimes, because the world is broken and we broke it, at times, there will be times when these principles don't actually work out the way that we would like them to work out, no matter how smart we are, no matter how many times you do the right thing, sometimes it just goes wrong. Now, this is also one of the reasons why Proverbs is harder to read and understand because it's written to be read in community with one another. We're supposed to walk through these principles and talk about these principles. Its readers are supposed to be working through piece by piece and bit by bit, discussing it as a group. Because in one chapter, you will find a proverb about a particular subject. Then you get to the next chapter, there'll be another proverb about that same thing. But it's a little bit different. And it kind of turns the corner and it makes you think more deeply about it. And we're supposed to talk about these things together as they layer one on top of the other, as it supplements and revises and adds to all these things. Our understanding is meant to move along together. No one single proverb seems to give the whole picture. It's cumulative. And yet almost nobody reads the book of Proverbs that way. Nobody. Why? Because it would take us too long. And we want our five-minute sound bites, and that, that's all we want. We don't want to do this hard work. And so what happens is we come to Proverbs, and we find a proverb we like, and we say, well, that's what the Bible says about this. And we just take that one out of context and walk away with it. But in order to understand Proverbs, we have to walk through these things together. It's, it's why as we talk about the subject, we talk about a lot of things in the midst of it. Here, Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, a lot of people have taken this proverb, and they've totally walked away with the wrong idea at times. In context of the book of Proverbs, this way that seems right to a man, the end is death. This is coming back to this idea of what givenness means. We're meant to see the big picture that fools are bad at making decisions, and many times it ends in a horrible place. Fools don't ask advice, or if they do, they don't listen to the advice they, they asked about. And so they're lousy at making plans. Fools often look at a course of action and think it looks brilliant and take it, like the show Breaking Bad. I'm going to get an RV, I'm going to make some meth in it, and for a while it seems to actually go okay until the whole thing just breaks down and goes into complete chaos. Many times, as fools, we'll look at a bad decision and nothing bad comes of it right away, so we think, oh, well, it must have been okay, until our lives, like a year or two later, just melt down into nothing. It's, it's horrible. Fools are always looking at courses of action and thinking that they are actually okay. 
And the trajectory of this idea throughout the book of Proverbs says no matter how hard one person tries, no matter how hard they plan, no matter how many people you listen to or how experienced you are, we can all look at a destructive option and think it looks good. Uh, don't raise your hands, but anybody been married more than once? Right? Uh, anyone ever have a friendship go bad? Anybody make an investment that went bad? Anybody get involved with somebody else in a business decision that, that went bad? See, this is the, how Proverbs comes and confronts our culture. It says, if we think we get to live any way we think we want, determine right and wrong for ourselves, we violate the givenness and we become fools. And if we're not willing to see the fallen world and the fallen order and that we are fallen people, when things blow up, we're going to be like, well, what just happened? You know what just happened? We happened. That's, that's what happened. No matter how hard you try sometimes to raise your kids right, they can still go wrong. No matter how hard you try to make your plans, they can still go wrong. I, I know it's, it's a total bummer. It, it really is. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> Proverbs 1, 22. When someone denies, I think, the basic theological fact of creation or the theological fact of the fallen world, it always brings trouble. Uh, this is why I think there's such a disparity in politics today, because a lot of people are acting very foolish. Uh, take, take the issue, you know, like I said, of poverty. Liberals and conservatives come at this thing from different sides. Liberals say it's a matter of social structure. Conservatives say it's just a failure of personal responsibility. And these are way too simplistic. They're both foolish, because no one ends up being wise. If you actually spend time in poor areas, you'll see that nothing is that simple. But again, that's what a fool is. They're out of touch with ultimate reality, and they think that their way is the only way it can actually be. All right, so what kind of fools are there? Well, Proverbs tells us there are varieties of fools that are, that are out there, and that's what's so hard about foolishness. Uh, if you like ice cream, fools are like Baskin Robbins. They come in 31 flavors. Uh, if you have kids and they watch cartoons, then fools are like Dalmatians. They come in 101 different puppy types. Uh, they can, and fools can always spot the members of another type of foolish group, but never their own. And again, this is nowhere seen more better than in politics because socialists and communists and liberals and conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and Green parties, they all look at everybody else and they're able to pull out all the foolishness in everybody else, but not in themselves. And we all do this. We all think everybody else is a fool and not us. So Proverbs gives us three essential types of fools in one proverb. Proverb 122 says this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Now, there's actually three different words for fools used here. So how long, O simple ones, that's a word for fools. So how long, O fools, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers, that's another word for fool, how long will fools delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So you have like this simple fool, which in our vernacular would be like gullible, and then you have a mocker or a scoffer who become very ruthless, and the third one is generic word for stubborn or obstinate. Okay, So a simple fool, Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. You can be unsophisticated and still be very wise. You can be sophisticated and still be simple. A simple fool is not someone who is unsophisticated. A simple fool is someone who is intellectually uninformed so much that you can't discern between good and bad ideas. It means that you're uninformed psychologically, so you're unsure of your identity, and so you begin to connect yourself to other people's approval of you. You will want to be liked so much that you won't discern between good and bad friends or good and bad leaders. In other words, this is fool with someone who is easily led or influenced. A simple fool doesn't stick to things and simply likes to be showy and spectacular. Uh, they love memes. They love uh, fake news and not real good arguments. 
when a, someone who is a simple fool becomes a Christian, if they actually stay simple, they will typically jump from church to church looking for what agrees with them and not what challenges them. Because we need things that challenge us. And how Element speaks about the gospel and gospel communities, a fool like this won't stay in one community when it gets hard. Oh, this relationship just got hard? Well, I need to get out of here and go find something else. They don't want to sit on one mission in one ministry and apply the gospel to their heart over the course of their life because it's very difficult and very hard to where the gospel becomes part of every single day of our life. Instead, they constantly look around for people who are going to infuse them with something to give them the answer, to give them the magic magic bullet that will fix them. That is a simple fool. And at one point in our lives and many times throughout the course of our lives, we will all end up being like this. And then there are obstinate fools. Proverbs 15 verse 5 says, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. The essence of this type of fool is someone who can't take criticism. Uh, You're opinionated. uh, Only your opinion matters because you know everything. Where a simple fool would be devastated by criticism. They're probably really afraid of it. They're very easily led, so they believe everybody. An obstinate fool believes nobody. Okay, they just believe nobody. Uh, Keller quoted this interview with a guy named Jerome Kagan, who was the dean of child psychology at Harvard University for years. And so Kagan talks about how they looked at 36 different cultures throughout the world and children in these different cultures. And they saw that kids have three essential temperaments no matter what culture they went into. He says, the first one, these kids are, some kids are wired for anxiety. In dangerous places, they say this works out really well for kids because fight or flight may take too long, and so you're anxious and you're just always ready to run. Uh, He said some are wired for aggression. Uh, This does better in places that aren't always dangerous. They can be sometimes, but not always. And this is someone who, like, let's get them before they get us. And then he said the third type are some that are optimistic. And optimistic kids work out way better in societies where there's a whole lot of peace in them. Because they're always like, let's not get bent out of shape. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be good. Now, he says that no matter where in the world you go, no matter how dangerous it is, you will still find these three temperaments in there. And no matter how peaceful a place is, you will still find these three temperaments there. And he says, each habitual way of dealing with the world can be highly inappropriate unless you are in exactly the right situation. Now, what happens with us, because we all start out this way, is we go into the rest of our lives with these essential temperaments that we are born with. And we start to go and interact with the world in certain ways. And if we don't see that our own temperament doesn't always work best, we will become obstinate fools. Because we will think this is the only way it needs to be done is just like this. Today, modern parents are taught, let your children find themselves and figure out who they are. Kagan says that's sometimes one of the worst advice you could ever give to parents. He says, unless parents intervene, a child's natural temperament will dominate them. And they won't learn how to act wisely in situations in which their habitual temperament response is inappropriate. Meaning that good parents will see the dark side of their kid's temperament and will intervene and help them to grow so they don't become obstinate like we are. Uh, Proverbs 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It means all of us start out as fools. And a temperament is kind of a shortcut because kids maybe haven't learned all the wisdom. So that's a little shortcut to what am I going to do here? But we always handle situations like this, even though it may be only appropriate in one-third to one-quarter of the situations we find ourselves in. And this is why God, as our good, heavenly, and perfect Father, He challenges that dark side of our temperament. It's why He points out what an obstinate fool is. 
And we don't like it. But God puts us in situations throughout the course of our life where we don't know what to do in that situation so we would actually grow out of our obstinate ways. God challenges us. So we all start as fools. Jerome Kagan of Harvard University says so, so it must be true. Actually, the Bible says so, so it must be true. Uh, And then the last one are these ruthless fools. Scoffers delight in their scoffing. Now, where a simple fool is going to be devastated by criticism and an obstinate fool just shrugs it off, what does a mocker do? A mocker pays you back. That's what they do. They get right back in your face and they're sarcastic. I don't know if that's me or not. Anyway, they have, they have this overwhelming pride. Uh, a mocker is somebody who on the surface, they can look very smart about money or relationships or whatever, but they're actually exploitative and can be very abusive in the end. A mocker is somebody who you might think you have a friendship with, but when that friendship gets just a little bit too difficult, it doesn't pay off for them, they drop you and move on. I, I think maybe all of us at some point in our life has had a friend like that. In the short run, mockers look sophisticated. A very high percentage of mockers in our world have done well in business and arts and literature and the media. Uh, many of them become presidents uh, because it's this ruthlessness that helps them. But in the end, they're fools because human beings need relationships. And mockers will always sacrifice relationship to get ahead. Everybody sort of wants to be like these people. We lift them up in our culture today. You know why? Because we're fools. That's why. We lift them up. And in the end, all these people are going to be alone. And in reality, we have to honestly look because we all fall into these categories in different ways throughout our lives in different places. We must be honest enough to see it for what it is. How the places we are out of touch with reality and how our lives can be devastated in the midst of it. How do we avoid this? How do we stop being fools to make a God-honoring culture? Well, it does always start with us and our homes, but the natural response of fools is to say things like, well, I'll just read the Bible more, and I'm going to work really hard to get better at it. That's a foolish answer. You probably didn't think you'd hear that in church, right? It's not as simple as that. What you have to see is how the Bible speaks about wisdom. In Proverbs, wisdom is often personified as a woman. And the woman calls out to the simple and the fools and stands beside God as he creates the world. Proverbs one thirty two and 33, wisdom says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Meaning, we trust God, we are secure in him. When Jesus comes, he uses a lot of words in Proverbs that are used about wisdom for himself. Like he is the personification of God's wisdom. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, when Jesus speaks, they say, Where did this man get this wisdom? Jesus even has the audacity in Luke eleven thirty one to look at people who don't even believe in him. And he says this, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, I am the wisdom of God. The answer to our foolishness is not to try and figure all things out for ourselves. It is to surrender ourselves at the foot of the cross, at Jesus and what he has done. And you might say, what am I supposed to do with that? Guys, we think we are so smart. This is the reason why the scriptures constantly deal with the idea of foolishness and wisdom. We must be willing to see our own foolishness. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3:18 and 19, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The only way we stop being these kinds of fools is to become the type of fool that finds all that we are in who Jesus is. 
It's a question of what kind of fool we are, or actually more whose fool we're willing to be. According to our world, the way that Jesus was born and the way that Jesus died was foolish. Jesus comes. He is the creator and king of the universe. He could have been a Hendrix or a Kennedy. But no, he was born to peasant parents. And he is laid in a feeding trough. The God of the universe in a feeding trough. How foolish is that? We say, no, no, I would never come that way. At his death, the God who made us allows us to place our hands on him and kill him. How foolish is that? We would never do that. We, I mean, seriously, if, if I was God of the universe and you tried to kill me, I'd be like, I will show you my glory and you will be sorry. That's what I would do. But that's not what he does. That's why it looks like foolishness. When Paul talks about this and the foolishness according to the world and looks at the cross, he says in 1 Corinthians one twenty five, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says if you look at the cross, this is the ultimate proof that there is actually a created uh, a createdness to this world, a givenness to this world, that there's a transcendent divine law and God is the only one who honors it. Because he is the one who understands the givenness of the world that he made. The cross, what it does, is it shows us how utterly sinful and foolish we all are. That Jesus had to die for us and our sin and our foolishness. The reality is that there is a creation, but there is a fall. But there's a third greater order, and that is redemption. That our God, in his wisdom, what looks like foolishness to the world, comes to rescue us. He redeems us at the infinite cost of his own blood. This means as Christians, we're not liberals or conservatives first. We are followers of Jesus first. And we understand that there are liberal and conservative things in that. I mean, the moral law of God should be honored. That's a very conservative thing. But we are saved by grace alone. And that's a very liberal idea. We are saved by grace and grace alone. To no longer be a fool means we live in God's givenness. And the only way we do that is by trusting the good news of what God did to rescue and save us. Only when we understand the gospel in terms of creation, fall, and redemption do we finally become wise. That is how we actually begin to be in touch with ultimate reality. In Galatians chapter 3, the Galatian Christians are turning away from the gospel of grace. And they're trying to obey the law that God ought to bless me if I obey the law. You know what Paul says to them? You're being fools. He says, you're foolish, Galatians. Lewis Martin says, Paul sees there's only one true antidote for foolishness, the proclamation of the gospel of the cross, the good news of what he did to rescue us. The Galatians are foolish because they think that moving towards an observance of morality and the law is going to save them. And they're losing sight of the event that makes the world what it really is. It's true givenness. And that is Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Because everybody in the world is a fool. I think if we would just be willing to admit it, things would go so much better. We are either simple fools, obstinate fools, ruthless fools, or we're God's fool. That's just how it is. To be a Christian, be wise, means we're going to become foolish in the ways of this world in two ways. Number one, we repent. We repent. Return to what God calls us to be. Nobody ever becomes a follower of Jesus by saying, I want God in my life because I want to be a little bit better. That's not how it works. We say, I repent because I've been a fool. I am out of touch with ultimate reality. Do you know that religious and irreligious people both try and live their lives without Jesus as Savior? Religious people do it by trying to follow the law. I'm going to follow all these laws and therefore I don't really need Jesus. And irreligious people just deny him altogether. But it's the same thing. Repentance means we come to our senses and we become wise. And the second thing is we embrace the foolishness of the cross. 
It's kind of like Stranger Things, like the upside down. The upside downness of God, power and recognition and status don't matter because God works through weakness and through suffering and through difficulty. And this is why Christianity is seen as foolishness, like a crutch to the rest of the world that doesn't believe because it is foolishness to them. We cannot be wise if we're not willing to become a fool. I mean, spiritually, a fool. There is no alternative. Either we live in Jesus' acceptance of us and build our house on the rock, or we don't, and we continue to live as fools. Everything, when you look at what the gospel teaches, looks like foolishness to this world. Even when we talk about communion, it looks like foolishness to this world. I mean, do you understand? Every week when we invite you to communion, it is, it is a, a, something that looks like ultimate foolishness to the world around us. You break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice because he shed his blood for us. Why would the God of the universe do that? It's foolishness. But he does it because he loves us. And he wants to bring us home again. Our repentance means to return to who God is calling us to be. This is the beauty of the gospel. That our foolishness, we say, yes, God, I have been foolish. And God says, great, now you can become wise and live in my wisdom in your life. Guys, I would invite you this morning to take communion and remember that. That we lay down all the wisdom that we think we have and I think we've accumulated and begin to live in the humbleness of living in God's wisdom in our lives. The band's going to come up. As they do, there's going to be some deacons in the back. And I'm going to invite you, if you guys need prayer this morning, that you would go and pray with them. That you'd begin to talk about and walk through some of those places, maybe where you feel like you're so wise, like God is, is just following him would be so foolish because you actually have to give up who you are. We give up who we are because we are the ones who are destroying the world with our sin. And God is the one who comes to rescue and redeem and bring us back in again. I don't think, without ever embracing the foolishness of the cross, that we'll ever understand how wise God actually is. This is why, again, so many people look at what God calls his people to and what God has done to rescue and what Christianity teaches, and they think it's foolish. there's this really cool thing that happened and, and I don't want to point them out because they're in the room. Um, but there's a couple who started attending Element a while ago. And we actually did their wedding a week ago. And they, they, they didn't believe it. I know. They, and they didn't really believe. But, but do you know, they're, they're blown away. Like, why would people love us? Why would people give to us? Why do people do all this to help us? Because it's what God calls us to. And all the questions are like, well, why? Because it looks like foolishness. It does, but it's wisdom because God calls us to live in the grace of the gospel. We lay down our wisdom. We live in the grace that he provides. Then we actually become wise. I mean, we talk about giving every week, right? You know, we give because God gave so much of his giving as part of our worship. That seems like foolishness. And yet, study after study after study shows that Christians are the most generous people in the world. Why? Because it's foolish. Because everyone's, everyone's looking at us going like, you guys are so dumb. You give your income away. Well, yeah, okay. You know, and what happens? We become more generous people because of it. When we begin to live in the ways that God calls us to, when we live as a people of grace, everything begins to change. And it looks like foolishness to those who don't believe. But to us, it's the wisdom of God. So there are offering boxes next to every door. Uh, there's food outside. <laughs> Grab something to eat. Uh, take some sermon notes, maybe talk to one another this week. 
Maybe what, what is your natural temperament? Where do you naturally fall into when things get hard and tough? My wife and I, we were driving from New Hampshire to Maine to New Hampshire, and I was talking about what I was going to talk about today. I thought I explained it to her better than I did this morning, uh, but because I'm t- more tired now than I was then. And, and we were talking about what our temperaments were and things like that. Talk to other people about that. You know, what your basic temperament is, how, how, you know, what things really throw you off when you've got to deal with it. And then what ways maybe taking a step back and trusting in God's provision for you would help you be able to change that temperament a bit to trust the things that he is calling you and I into. As I got to tell you, I got to tell you, God's wisdom is amazing when we will actually trust and live in it. And that wisdom begins in understanding the good news of what Jesus did to rescue us. Because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who would live in your wisdom. Even when everyone around us looks at us and thinks it is ludicrous. That we would trust your wisdom first above all things. And in trusting that wisdom, we would take a step back and see that it all begins in the place of the cross and the resurrection. That we'd be a people who see your goodness that has been given to us the grace that has been placed upon us because in your wisdom you deem to come and rescue and save a people who quite honestly when we would look at it doesn't look like a good investment and yet you are the one who calls us worthy and so today I ask that you would begin to change our hearts to see the difference between our own wisdom and the wisdom that you call us into. To see the places in our lives where we are not applying the good news of the gospel to. Where we continue to live as fools. That we would take a step back and see the createdness of this world, the givenness of it. And begin to live in your givenness. That we would be a people who find great pride in who you are, who don't mind living in foolishness when people question why we do the things that we do. But we will live in great hope because it is all about the God who has rescued and saved us. So teach us to live out your goodness and your wisdom day by day and all that we do because you are the rescuer of all of us. And we thank you for that rescue. Teach us to live in your wisdom, starting today, going throughout the course of our lives. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.